I'm in a series entitled Home for Christmas. And, and if you've been away from God or away from his house, it's, it's time to come on home. If you have been away from the Lord in your life, I want you to know the Father, just like in Luke 15, is sitting on the porch, looking down the dusty road, waiting for you to come back home. He's still setting your place at the table. He's not forgotten about you. It's time to come home. If you've never known God, God still knows who you are. It's time to come home. You belong to God. If your faithfulness in a church attendance has been disrupted by this pandemic, I want you to come on back home. It's time to come home. And in this series on Christmas, we are fighting what I believe is a strong secular movement to, to co-opt our holiday. The one that belongs to us. They're secular Forces that are at work trying to make that a secular event rather than the earth-changing spiritual event that it was meant to be. And you've heard all the stuff, take, they're taking Christ out of Christmas and all of that, and it's become so commercial, it's about spending money now rather than worshiping. And as I said last Sunday, it's, this secular movement is so impacted the Christmas holiday season that many believers don't even go to church on Christmas anymore. If you can believe that, I know that's stunning, but that is a fact. Some churches don't even have service on, on Christmas weekend. I'm just flabbergasted and I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying you can be influenced without realizing you've been influenced. And you want to fight to protect this because if they can steal away the true meaning of Christmas, then guess what? Easter has just lost its relevance. Because without a virgin birth in a little town called Bethlehem and a star that led the way for the wise men to come, there would be no value in Easter. Amen. And I'm reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then Daniel 12 and verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever those who turn those people to righteousness will shine like the stars i want to speak today from the subject stars that point to jesus stars that point to jesus heavenly father i pray that you would speak through me this morning to touch hearts and let lives be transformed let people be saved let People come home for Christmas. Lord, I'm asking that we could celebrate Christmas this year as the unbelievably significant and meaningful event that it was created to be in our lives. Let it be worshipful and let this be a time when we draw near to you and don't let us get lost in all this commercialism and everything else that's going on. 
But Lord, let us stay focused on you in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. Robert is playing a familiar Christmas carol. It's entitled, We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orient are. You remember this, the way the melody goes. The chorus tells a star of wonder, star of night, star of royal or with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding. Guide us to thy perfect light. This is a very popular Christmas carol. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. During Christmas, one of the most commonly mentioned of all of the things that were a part of the original Christmas story is the star of Bethlehem that led the three wise men to where the Savior could be found. The lyrics to this song and its music were written in 1857. 1857. That is a long time ago. The composer was a pastor and a seminary teacher named John Henry Hopkins, Jr. He wrote the song as a Christmas carol to be sung in a Christmas pageant at the seminary in New York City where he taught. For several years after the pageant, he and his family and friends would sing the carol at Christmas time as they celebrated the miracle of Christmas. But five years after writing the carol in 1863, Hopkins decided to publish the lyrics and the music of the song he had written and share them with the world. What makes this carol so unique is that We Three Kings became the very first Christmas carol ever written in the young United States of America to catch on and become popular throughout the rest of the world. It remains one of the most popular of all of the Christmas carols that are sung in this season. And it reminds us, as you look at the words, of how extraordinary the birth of our Savior was. The song is written from the perspective of the wise men who came led by the star that heralded the birth of Christ to find the Savior. We don't even really know for certain how many wise men there were. You say, well, there were three. That's what I've always seen celebrated on every Christmas card, every nativity scene, every church Christmas play. It's always three wise men. The truth of the matter is we're not told that in the Bible. Matthew, who tells us the story of the wise men, does not mention a number. These wise men came over 700 miles away to be at the birth of Jesus or to celebrate that he had been born. They didn't know where to go in their quest to find the newborn king until a star announced that Jesus had been born, the king of the Jews, and started them on their journey. That amazes me because the birth of our Savior was apparently such an extraordinary event. That the entire universe peered over the balconies of heaven in wonder when it occurred. And one of its brightest stars participated in making the announcement. 
There's been a lot of speculation about what the Christmas star was. Some astronomers mention a rare planetary triple conjunction of the planet Saturn and Jupiter with the moon that occurred about 2,000 years ago near the time that Jesus was born. Because of computer technology at NASA, they can program the position of the stars in the universe into the computer and as they observe them they can then go backwards and tell you where they were thousands of years ago not just two thousand but many thousands of years ago and so they mentioned that there was actually a triple planetary conjunction about two thousand years ago still other people speculate that it might have been a comet that has long since moved to another part of the universe because comets just keep on going And then yet others that it could have been a supernova. Still others point out that God didn't really need a comet or supernova or or a triple planetary conjunction at all. He didn't need any of those things. He could have supernaturally created a star in the heavens that led the three wise men on their journey. One that he made for that purpose and that purpose alone. And then he could have caused it to vanish away. After all, didn't he create the 300 sextillion? I want you to listen to that number. 300 sextillion stars that Yale University astronomers tell us exist in our universe. And if you're wondering how many stars that is, it's the number 300 followed by 21 zeros. That's what we have been able to speculate thus far based upon counting numbers of stars and groupings in various places in the sky. There could be others beyond them that we haven't seen yet. And if God could speak all of those stars into existence at the dawn of creation, well, he wouldn't have any problem at all creating one little star to announce the birth of Jesus and God, the wise men, and then make it disappear when its job was done. He didn't need those 300 sextillion stars or comets or supernovas or triple planetary conjunctions. So we don't really have any way of knowing what the star of Bethlehem was for certain. But the truth is it doesn't even matter. It doesn't. When you think about it, it doesn't matter what the star of Bethlehem was. And there are people who get all hung up on things like that before they will commit to believing God and believing that God is who he says he is and that he is the savior of the world and that that he created the world. Their folks stumble over stuff like that all the time. They get hung up on things like, well, how did he part the waters of the Red Sea for Pharaoh's army or Israel to pass through in Pharaoh's army to drown and how did he keep the three Hebrews alive in the fiery furnace in Babylon Uh, how did he do that and they how did Jesus walk on water They, they stumble over silly stuff like that and they seem to forget that if God is God and there exists a God That just by virtue of his existence, he can do anything he wants to do. He lives outside the normal laws of physics and science. And at any moment, 
God can interrupt one of those laws to do a miracle and cause something to happen. I just finished a series on miracles. And that's why you should never doubt whether God can heal cancer or open a blind eye. Because if God can make you, he can fix you. I need somebody to give God some praise in this house. Well, it doesn't even matter what the star was. He, all I know is he made it show up and that's what counts. Amen. The star was there to call attention to the Savior. God created it for that purpose. And that to me is interesting because we live in a day when it seems like everybody is constantly trying to call attention to themselves. Forgive me if I speak plainly, but you have musical artists, you have social media stars, you have athletes, influencers, business titans, you have movie stars, you have entrepreneurs, you have high-tech moguls and geniuses and Even celebrity ministers that are constantly wanting to call attention to themselves. Amen. And the truth of the matter is the star of Bethlehem was not sent to call attention to itself. It didn't appear in the heaven just so that people would look up and say, look, that sure is a bright star. It was put up there for a reason. Amen. It was sent to call attention to the one true star. And that's the day star. The one true celebrity, and that's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who rules time and eternity. Can somebody in the building say amen? You see, when it's all said and done, I want you to understand this. There will come a time when all of these others that I mentioned, if they are fortunate enough to be saved and to be led by the store to the one that is the true store, they're going to someday in heaven take the crowns off their head. And they're going to forget their accolades and their degrees and their achievements and their awards and their accomplishments and their prizes and their wealth and their fame. And they're going to take those crowns and throw them at the feet of Jesus and say, you alone are worthy to receive praise and honor and blessing. Amen. The star of Bethlehem was not sent to call attention to itself, but rather call attention to the one true store. And these days, unfortunately, Christmas is often about everything but Jesus. It's about trees. Oh, we get the star on the top of the tree to remember the story. It's about gifts, but they're for us. And people enter the Christmas season, kids from their earliest upbringing are wanting to know, what am I getting for Christmas? And, and we start thinking in those kind of terms and gifts for other people. It's really not even about us. And I'm not being Scrooge here either. You can buy all the gifts you can afford. I hope that you'll save something for our missionaries and, and something for people who need help. Amen. But I'll tell you this much. Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. It's his birthday. Today there are still stars that lead to Jesus. Like the wise men, how many of us have had stars That God placed in our lives to lead us to him. Most of us are here because of stars who led the way to Christ. The stars of 
the real stories of Christmas. I wouldn't be here if it were not for my grandmother and grandfather. We call them nanny and papa. They had already raised nine children of their own and one other that wasn't their own. When my mother put me and my two younger brothers out, you've heard me tell that story before. I won't bore you, but it is my testimony. And Nana and Papa took us in to live with them. I was four years of age. My younger brothers, Terrell, were two and, was two and a half and Maudie was, was nine months old. My mother and dad's marriage had broken up. And my mother took us in with her whenever she left. Dad took us with her. But she didn't go to church. And you know what Nanny did? Nanny was a church-going woman. And she went to praying and fasting. She didn't want us to be raised in a home without God. And uh, the home that my mother was a part of, there was a cussing and drinking and fighting and all kind of stuff. And I'm not being disrespectful. I honor my mother because of the office that she held in my life. Even if she didn't always treat me like I was her son. Amen. But I'll say this. Nanny went to fasting and praying that we would not be raised in that home. And it wasn't all that many months went by until she got a call that my mom was giving us up to her to raise. And Nanny and Papa took us in to live with them. And they saw to it. Y'all don't remember these kind of days. But we were in church every time the church doors were open. Anybody remember back in the day when if the doors of the church were open, you were at church. Amen. If you were a Christian. Amen. We were in church twice on Sunday. We went to Sunday school before church Sunday morning. Then we went to church on Sunday evening and we had Wednesday night Bible study. They even drugged me to ladies prayer meeting on Thursday morning. I'm serious. We were at church constantly. We didn't have time to do anything wrong. They raised us in church. They figured, I guess, through osmosis or something, we were, it'd rub off on us. Amen. I want every parent and grandparent listening to me right now to hear this. You need to raise your children in the house of God. You need to have them in church. You say, but they don't want to go to church. I didn't either, but I'm here because somebody made me go to the house of God. We've got an incredible Sunday school. You ought to see that wing down there if you haven't gone down there. Amen. Kids cry whenever they have to leave Sunday school. I'm serious. They cry. I used to cry when I went to Sunday school. I didn't want to go. Amen. But church is fun now. I didn't have that as as a child when I was growing up. But I want to tell you why you need to raise your kids in the house of God. Going to church and engaging in corporate worship with other believers when your children are young is vital to their spiritual development. Amen. And as parents, you see to it that your kids go to school every day. How many of you, your parents want, you, you parents, your kids want to go to school? 
That's what I thought. But you know what happens on Monday through Friday? They go to school whether they want to or not. Amen. And you take them to soccer practice and football and all the rest. Why not make the same commitment to raise your kids in the house of God? Amen. You can be the star that leads the way for your child to find Jesus someday. Amen. My grandparents led me to Christ by making sure that I was in church. And the truth is that perhaps more than anyone else, they impacted my life for God. You have heard me say before that Nanny was a praying woman. She prayed like it was her job. I'm serious. I mean, I mean to say by that, there was no, no 15 minute sermon. When she prayed, she prayed by the hour. And she used to have this creaky old screen on the back porch of that form house. And when I would get thirsty and go in to get a cup of water and I was just a little guy, you could hear that screen door open all over the house. And I would try to open it slow because she would be in there praying. And she had ears like you can't believe. She could hear better as an old lady than I could as a kid and as a young man. And she would say, Richard, is that you? And I would say, yes. She would say, come pray with me a little while. Oh, nanny, do I have to? And it was, it was, it was worse than Armageddon. I'm telling you, I just didn't want to and cried because I had to go in there when she was praying. I wouldn't give anything for that right now. I thank God that I was raised in a praying home. I thank God that I was raised by somebody that brought me to church. Amen. Papa prayed too. I will never forget an old chair he had out in the, in the hay barn on the farm and, and the seed had come off that chair. And so it was just the frame of the chair. And if you'd go out there during the day, you'd hear Papa praying on, in, in, in the hay barn as he'd sit on that old chair. And they weren't perfect. I look back on it and I realize now they were old and grouchy and everything else. And they had already raised nine kids and I, I get it. I understand all of that. And besides, I was there when Papa got saved. Amen. I was. He wasn't always a Christian, but he got saved when I was a little guy. And Papa had a, a hang up. He, he liked to dip snuff. He was addicted to it. And forgive me, if you have any relatives, I don't mean to make fun. That is the nastiest stuff that I've ever seen on the top of this planet. Amen. And Papa got saved and he would hide his snuff in different places on the old form. I even found a tin of snuff one time in an old refrigerator up in the freezer. The refrigerator wasn't working. It had been put in the back porch. I found it in the hay barn. I found it in the chicken coop. I found I found. I found it in the garage and in the the wash house. And one time I made the mistake of trying to taste that stuff. And Nanny, she lit into me when she found out. I came staggering back into the form. I was dying. I know I was. I looked like it. I was green. I felt green. Amen. And Nanny said, it's good for you. And she got mad at Papa and gave him a talking to after that. 
It took Papa a while to be able to get over his snuff. I realized they weren't perfect. And I want you to understand we don't have perfect folk in the church. And that's not what I'm talking about. Just get them in the house of God. Amen. Amen. None of them were perfect and I wasn't either. But I could promise you this. I wasn't perfect and it wasn't for any lack of Nana, a, a part of trying on Nana's part, I can tell you for sure. She tried to see to it that I did what was right. You don't believe me? There's a peach tree in the backyard that can testify to every time I did wrong. She would send me out to get my own switches. Y'all probably have to bleep this because these days nobody believes a child should ever be punished. And But she didn't believe that. And she, she, she... She, if she were alive today, I've said it before, she'd be arrested for child abuse. I'd, somebody would call 911 on her. Amen. She would send me out to get a switch and I'd get the flimsiest little old thing, you know, that was growing on that tree guaranteed to break the first time she hit me. And she, she learned to tell me, boy, make sure you get a good one because if you don't, I'll go get one. That poor peach tree never produced a peach the whole time I was a kid. I'm serious. I'm not making that up. I'm telling you the truth. Not a single peach grew on that tree. And when we finally moved out, it started growing peaches. I know what happened. It had a celebration. Praise God the herd boys and moved out. Amen. Because they... Brought me to church, though I encountered God at an early age. That might not have ever happened if they hadn't taken me to church. When we were little, I'm going to talk about something some of y'all don't know. Anybody know what a pallet is? Y'all know what a pallet is? They'd take a blanket with them to church. And it wasn't because the air conditioning was cold either. There wasn't any air conditioning when I was a little guy. I remember when they bought the first window units for that church. But they brought a blanket to church because they would fold it up and put it on the floor underneath the front pew. Nana sat all the way over on the extreme left in that section of pews on that side on the second row. And she would put a pallet on the floor. And we three boys would lie down there and go to sleep during the services at night. And Papa sat on the front pew on the opposite side and and they that's where they would worship and y'all i'm gonna tell y'all stuff y'all don't even know anything about some of y'all don't you're gonna look at me like what planet did i just step off of and and they used to ladies used to worship until they shouted back in the day and they would shout their hair down and the bobby pins would fly out and get on the floor anybody remember that Amen. And it wasn't just Pentecostals. Methodists used to shout back in the day. And the Baptists did too. Come on now. I'm telling you what is the truth. Now them folk are so stem and starchy. They don't want. uh, Yeah, that's in your history. That's in your past. And I, I wouldn't give anything for having been raised in it. And I used to sleep until I figured out you could take one of those bobby pins you'd pick up off the floor and make a popper and you could pop your brother with it. You know what I mean? Bend one of those little things around and pop him with it. And he'd cry. I got more whippings from that than anything I, I can remember of in particular. But there was one revival meeting that they were having. 
and I was only a little guy. I couldn't have been but five or six years of age by that time when God showed up in that service that night and God touched my heart. And from that day until now, I was touched by something that marked my life. I can't get away from it. I tried as a teenager. I can't get away from it. Amen. Amen. I cried so deeply that night. Y'all know what this is like. You've seen your kids do that. Have you ever seen them cry to where they shudder? I cried until I shuddered. I got the worst headache of my life. I don't think I've had a headache that severe since I've been grown. They had to literally put their hands on my shoulders to take me to the car to go home that evening. I cried so hard. But do you know what happened that night? God marked my life. God showed up. And though I drifted away from God for years, I could not get away from what I felt and nothing I ever experienced in the world came close to matching what I had encountered that night as a little boy in church service. I think of brother and sister Wilkins, the pastors of that church. They were stars, just like Nanny and Papa. And they pointed me to Christ too. Brother and sister Wilkins, Emmett P. and Beulah Wilkins. Think of Christmas time, what they would do for all of us there at that little church. There weren't a lot of people, but they didn't have much money either. And you know what? That church was so small that they'd... They'd give us a gift. They wanted to give everybody a gift to remind us of the significance of Christmas. And they didn't have, go down to the store and buy these. They, they didn't even have them then. These colorful gift bags that you buy and you put a gift in the bottom and write a nice card from Hallmark and, and get some of that frilly colored paper and put in the top that tissue and give it as a gift on, on Christmas. No, they didn't, they didn't have any of that. They went next door to Melvin's supermarket and they got a bunch of paper bags, brown paper bags that you would put groceries in. And I, I guess the, the, the 25 pound ones, not the big ones, but the, the, those about this size. And they would put an apple and an orange in it. Am I bringing back memories to anybody? And one other piece of fruit, it might have been a tangerine and several walnuts still in the shale. You had to break the shale yourself and a few pecans and a Brazil nut or two. Anybody remember that? And a chocolate bar, if times were good, was always in the bottom of the bag. And that made Christmas special to me. It didn't take a lot. We didn't get a lot when I was a kid. But they kept the focus where it needed to be. And that was on Jesus. Brother and Sister Wilkins were never as well known as some preachers. They didn't have a big TV ministry. They never pastored large congregations. But they are part of the reason I'm saved today. They're stars that pointed me to the Savior. They were church planters. They started and pastored a number of churches in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and even up into Missouri. My grandmom and granddad attended their church in Lake Charles. Nanny and Papa didn't own a car, so Brother Wilkins would go pick them up for every service. All those services I told you about, he would go pick them up, and Nanny would get us three boys ready. And like I said, she was already old and cantankerous. Amen. 
And I, you know, I realize it's hard to get kids ready for church. But Nana did it for me and I'm standing here today to tell you I'm so glad that she did and that she did not give in to the popular pressure to let things just be easy in her life. The world may not know, brother and sister Wilkins, but they are stars in my book and I'm about done. I looked on Google when I was preparing this message to see if I could pull up anything about them. But I couldn't even find a single reference to them. But they showed me the way to Jesus. Amen. They pointed the way to Christ. They helped me find the Savior. I'm talking to some of you that had somebody in your life. And the reason you're here right now is because of a grandmom, a granddad, an uncle, an aunt, a father, a mother. Somebody pointed the way to the Savior. A pastor, a Sunday school teacher. Won't we'll say a word to our staff here. I love and appreciate all of you so much. Our pastors, our worship leaders, our musicians, they're all stars that every service and all during the week are pointing the way to Jesus. Psalms 84 and 10 said, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. You know what that says? I would rather hold the door open and say he's in here. This is where you can find Jesus than to be out there doing all that stuff that everybody else says is having fun while they ruin their lives. I want to thank God for people that point the way to Christ with their life and with their example and with their caring. I appreciate the level of, ex- of excellence and professionalism that we see in every service. You don't get any better than these guys up here. If you're a musician, you know that. Wait till next Sunday. Wait till next Sunday. You're going to get a chance to see how good some of them are in the Christmas special next Sunday morning. We have an outstanding team. And I value that so highly. But do you know what I believe I value the most? It's that our team can be depended upon service after service to make it their priority to lead us into the presence of God. I don't want church without Jesus. I don't want just professional singing and music and we go home and say, wasn't that great? Didn't that person hit the right note? Wasn't that an excellent solo, a great whatever? I want folk to leave this place and say, you know something? I went to the house of God and the worship team brought me directly into the presence of God Almighty. And it changed my life forever. I think of our Sunday school teachers that are over in that wing right now, teaching youth leaders that are in the gym, the many volunteers who serve here faithfully, all of you, all of them pointing the way to Jesus for our children and for our young people. Thank God for the first impressions team from the moment you roll into the parking lot and somebody greets you to the lobby. And all of the relationship coordinators that pile into the lobby at the end of the service to make sure that every person here is made to feel loved and welcome and tell them, we're so glad you're here. We'll see you next Sunday. Come on home. Be with us. Be a part of our family. I think of the ushers and the watchmen who serve faithfully. Brother Rodney and Sister Carlin, the prayer ministry teams that are on call 24 hours a day. 24 
24 hours a day. You see, you can't schedule an emergency. It might come up at 3.40 in the morning and you need somebody that you can pick up the phone and call that in turn will begin to call a whole prayer line worth of intercessors and, and they'll call your name before Jesus. Stars that point the way to Jesus. Our amazing volunteers that show up for food drives. We've had hundreds of cars all the way down Garrett Road, wrapped all the way around into our parking lot. Hundreds of cars when we give away food. We gave away one point, I think it was $4 million, if I'm not mistaken, after Hurricane Harvey to help people. Folks say church just wants money. No, you can keep your money. We want to help people. We want to be a blessing to people. If you got a bad attitude when you give it, we don't even want it. Amen. If you can't give it to help somebody, give it to serve somebody, give it to be a blessing to somebody. No, that's not what we're into. Every wife, every husband who has an unsaved spouse, you're a star in their life. Don't give up. Don't become discouraged. Keep pointing the way to Christ. And I'm done. As I conclude, I want to say you can be a star in somebody's life that points them to Christ if you're not. We should all seek to be the one who shows others the way to Jesus. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. God has called you to be a star to somebody. It may be somebody on the job. It may be your neighbor. Maybe somebody you meet in the grocery store. And finally, I want to say the star was only there for a season. That's why there's such an intense debate about what it might have been. Because you look up and you don't see it anymore. And I think of all the stars that have been in my life. Nanny and Papa. They're not around anymore. Brother and Sister Wilkins. They're gone. Sister Mildred Manny. My Sunday school teacher when I was seven years of age. She's gone. And someday you're going to be gone too. And you want to make your life count. You want to shine while you can. Mark Twain said the two greatest days in your life are the day you are born and the day you figure out why. And there are people in this room all over this building that have yet to figure out why God created them. I'm going to say this, and if Joe is watching this, Joe, I'm going to talk about that phone call and your dad. When I was young and still in school, Dennis Lejeune was my best friend. Dennis wasn't raised in church like me. Dennis was a drummer. I used to play guitar. We played in several bands together. I'm going to tell you stuff that, well, all I can say is thank God that this is all under the blood. We're standing one night outside a club. And a guy walked up. 
And he began to witness to us. We had just set up our instruments inside. We're getting ready to play that night. And this guy walked by and stopped. He was, we were standing outside the club and near the street. And as he walked down the sidewalk, he stopped and he said, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And, and he started talking and I cut him off because I didn't want to be reminded because I knew I was living in rebellion. And I cursed and said something. And I know you can't imagine your pastor doing that, but, but I did. And I said, I don't want to hear that stuff. And Dennis grabbed me by the arm and said, Rich, let him tell me. I've never heard this before. And I shrugged Dennis's hand off my arm and I said, Dennis, I don't want to hear it. And I cursed the guy some more and I looked into his eyes and I could see I had hurt him. He was hurt. He was wounded. And he turned to walk away. And it was within the next two years that I got the news that my friend, Dennis Lejeune, had died of a drug overdose right here in Houston, Texas. So far as I know, he never had another star. And he should have had one to shine every day of his life. At least as long as he knew me. But I was a star that didn't want to shine. And the reason I mentioned Joe is because Joe is his son. And Joe found me some months ago and called. And Joe, if you're watching this, because he told me he watches services. Joe, I'm so glad that you got out of prison. I'm so glad that though you spent 15 years behind bars, that you've made your decision to give your heart to God. I'm so glad you're turning your life around. And I'm praying for you, Joe. Would you stand with me across this building? How many have stars in their life they ought to lift their hands and thank God for right now? While every head is bowed. Father, I pray right now that you will touch every person who needs you in this place. And while every head is bowed, I want to ask you, how many here need Jesus in their heart? Would you raise your hand right where you're at? God bless you and you. Keep raising them. God bless you and you and you. Keep raising them. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them. I want to pray for you. I want to see you. God bless you. Hands up all over this place. Jesus, save them. Write their names in the book of life. Cover us with the blood. Let us be sons and daughters of God. You said those who come to you, you will in no wise cast out. Save them, I ask in Jesus' name. And we believe in your promise to do so. And I also pray for every person here that has an assignment in this world to be a star to somebody that you will help us to shine to shine and let your glory show through us 
we can lead people to you, Jesus. I feel the presence of God in this place right now. Oh, God is here.